We are in Acts uh, 15.36. We'll start there and try to get through 17.15. We probably won't make it through today, and that's okay. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 15. And we'll go ahead and start off with a prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for today, for your Shabbat, for a time where we can gather here in this space and in the many homes around uh, Akron this morning and anyone else who's watching um, wherever they are. We thank you for this time where we can come together, pray, be together as families, as a community, pour into our kids, pray with them, um, and all learn together what it means to be a holy people. We thank you for Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, and for Barnabas, and for Silas, and John Mark, and Timothy, and all these men, and and the women around them, um, about whom we're going to read this morning. We thank you for them, and the examples they set for us, and the hard decisions they made to be holy people. We pray that we'll be like them in some ways. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So we start off in, at the end of uh, 15 here, with Paul wanting to go back to the assemblies. Now, this this is a big deal, right? So there was finally kind of a formal approval of the Gentile inclusion, which was the, the constant battle that Paul was dealing with as he was going out. Um, Jewish believers in Yeshua were the ones who were coming up and kind of stirring the pot, being like, no, they got to be circumcised and become Jewish and keep the whole Torah in order to be saved. And he's like, no, like I got the approval. And then they went back. And so they have now formal approval of, of this. So that kind of clears a slate Sets the, sets the stage for moving ahead. <clears throat> what this also does is it frees up Paul. <clears throat> Paul could now do follow-up work with the communities he had influenced earlier on. And he was eager to get back and clear up any remaining confusion about the matter of Gentile inclusion. Right? So there's, there's this point at which Paul and Barnabas, they've gone out uh, and they're... they're, they're they're kind of the tip of the spear here. They're, they're going out. They're helping these congregations see that the Gentiles uh, can be included in this, in the, in the family of God. And they're coming up against opposition from within their own camp. And it's just frustrating. And if you've ever been there where you're trying to accomplish something that you know is good and right, but there are people who are like, no, 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 this isn't the way. You're like, no, I know it is how much freer you are when a decision's made like, yes, this is the path forward. You have done a good job. That's what we're going to do now. Everyone else do the same. How would you feel? Oh, you can breathe. Like, okay, finally. Okay, now I'm not the tip of the spear anymore. I'm not alone in this. I'm still going out and doing the things, but I can now do some follow-up work, which is kind of like the next stage of, of building relationships and leading communities. Does that make sense? So that's kind of where he's at. He's freed up. And now he starts to make some plans. He and Barnabas are making plans. Um, and they try to figure out who, who to bring along. Okay. We know now that Luke is being included in these trips because in 16 we'll see the author, Luke, 
writing in the third person plural now. He'll use words like we and us. Um, We uh, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the gospel to them. So Luke is now a part of this team of men going out and back to these communities that they'd been to. So Luke was selected. Um, Silas is also selected at this stage. And Barnabas's nephew, John Mark, is nominated. But this does something tragic, almost catastrophic, you could say. So we read uh, 1536. Actually, we didn't, but we'll, we'll go ahead in 1537. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul was of the opinion that they should not take along with them this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now it turned into such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. How... Was that worth it? I mean, you have to ask the question, was that, was that worth it? Was John Mark worth splitting up the dynamic duo over? Do you understand the, 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 the significance of this? Paul and Barnabas were the ones who were really leading this charge. And because Barnabas, who we know was a gentler um, more gracious man than Paul, wanted to bring his nephew along. But Paul had such a hard time with that, and they had such sharp disagreement that they decided that it was best if they parted ways. Like that, that seems tragic to me. But I think that the, the, the important lesson here is that God separated Paul and Barnabas to prepare someone. Who was, who was he doing this for? Of all the men, of all the characters I've named so far, who was, who were they doing, who was he doing this for? God separated Paul, John Mark. God separated Paul and Barnabas to help prepare John Mark, I think. Put yourself in John Mark's shoes, Okay. During the first journey, John Mark was not ready for the demands of being in ministry. Um, He was young. He was immature. He couldn't wrap his head around what it would cost to do this. And at some point, he abandoned the mission. He, um, uh, He deserted them, as Paul would say. He abandoned the mission but he later regretted it. And so he wanted, he wanted a second chance. And his uncle, Barnabas, was wanting to give it to him. But it was his uncle's recommendation. So here you are. You've done this thing that you regret. And you, you want to be back in the good graces of Paul, this, this towering figure in the community, in, in the mission of reaching the Gentiles. And... Your uncle vouches for you, and because of that, Paul says, no, we're going to separate. We're going to go our separate ways. How would you feel if you were John Mark in this situation? 
you, you, already, you already regretted the, the, the mistake you made of leaving the mission in the first journey. You've grown some since then. You've matured a little bit. But now this happens. How, what do you do? How do you feel? How would you feel? Has this ever happened before? Any, anything like this where, like, your involvement in something tore something else apart that you, you never meant for it to be. You never meant for that outcome to happen. From this point on, I think Mark was very broken. He's quite broken. He wants to do God's will. And he's made some mistakes, and he's repented, and he's learned from it. And so for right now, John Mark needs the gentleness of his uncle, Barnabas, who we know was an encourager, to lead him forward in this. But he also needed the shock of Paul's harsh judgment, which is the severity of God. For we read in 2 Corinthians 7.10, the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Finishing the verse in verse 39, and Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. John Mark disappears from the Acts account here, but not from Scripture, right? What, it is, what is it that John Mark goes on to do? Off the top of your head, what, is, what does he do? What is one of the things he does? He writes the first narrative gospel. It's no small thing. He later reconciles with Paul, right? He serves Paul while Paul is in prison by traveling to Asia Minor on his behalf. He serves as a translator and disciple in Rome with Simon Peter. And while there, that's where he writes the first narrative gospel, the Gospel of Mark. And then he does work, uh, further work, of the kingdom in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, Virginia. <laughs> yes, Alexandria, Virginia. Before it was even settled. Alexandria, Egypt. He had a lot of growing yet to do, and he, God had something great for him down the road. So we could say that God plays the long game, does he not? God plays the long game. Even if the, in these moments here, John Mark is crushed. He feels awful. He feels regret for having abandoned the, the, the trip the first time. And then him just wanting to go along and his uncle being so kind splits the team up and it's like it's now it's not even possible. Like, wow, like all of this is this is horrible. Like, I'm so sorry. Why? Why does this always happen to me? Maybe he's thinking. God is using this. He's using this to create in John Mark the kind of man that he becomes. Because that's what God needs. Moving on. 
In verse 40, Paul chose Silas and left after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Silas brings some assets to Paul that Paul doesn't have uh, and and some that Barnabas didn't have either. So he was a a significant figure. Um, do, Do any of you know off the top of your head, what Silas would have brought to, uh, the, to the team, you could say. Like Paul, he was a citizen of what? Rome. He was a Roman citizen. So that's, that's an asset. He could testify to the resurrection. He was there. Silas was there. He was gifted with the Holy Spirit of prophecy like Barnabas, so he still had an an attribute uh, that Barnabas had that Paul did not, or or in a way that that Paul did not. He had credibility that Paul lacked because he probably knew the master personally. And finally, he could speak with more authority than Paul could having a position of leadership in the Jerusalem community. So he was a significant addition to the team and would have made a Paul-Barnabas-Silas team even, I mean, that would have been like the dream team, right? But the split happened. Barnabas took John Mark and Paul chose Silas. And Luke went along with Paul and Silas. Verse 41, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the congregations, which is what you kids did. You strengthened the congregations. You went through and you, you told them the good news. You uh, went through and encouraged them and, uh, uh, and just made a point to stop in these places. Now, they head toward Tarsus, so that they're not going back the way they came, or they're not going the same direction they went in the first missionary trip, which took them to Cyprus and then up. That's where, that's where Barnabas and John Mark went. They went that way. They went on the boat, got to Cyprus. Paul and Silas are going north over land to Tarsus, which is a major, major city, and that's where Paul's from. But they didn't stick around there. They wanted to get back to these congregations that they had uh, influenced, that Paul had influenced earlier. Um, Keep in mind that these and other apostles taught the congregations as they traveled post-apostolic decree. And this likely laid the foundation of what would become what? Remember this? The Didache. The Didache, this is, the, this is considered the apostles' teaching by some, not by all, but by some. And this is a kind of summary of some very basic general teachings that would benefit Gentile believers, God-fearers, coming into the congregations. And this was compiled, I'm sure this was compiled over, over many years, um, and based on the experiences of many of these apostles who were going out, and, and now post-apostolic decree, like, okay, they're coming in, we've got to have something to say to them, because when we go to these congregations, 
they're, gonna, they're probably going to ask us to come up because that's the tradition. You are an emissary. You come and you, we hear from you. You teach us something. And they would have shared this. They would have shared other letters that they brought with them that were written to them. And they would have shared some of these things as well. And they would have also addressed some specific matters for each congregation. But in general, they would have shared some of this stuff so that each congregation was best prepared to bring people in. So let's think about, think about the chronology of Scripture here and what it is they had at hand when they're going around teaching people. So we know they had the Torah of Moses that was preached in the synagogue every Shabbat, right? And they're always going to places where there is a synagogue. Um, almost always, like 99% of the time, they're going to go to cities where there are synagogues. What else did they have with them that they, would, that they could teach from? Besides, besides the Torah and the Tanakh. So they had the Torah and Tanakh, but that was, that was already at the location they were going to. What were they bringing with them that they would have been teaching from as they went? Hello? Um, <laughs> well, they have, they have the apostolic decree. They'll start to have some epistles that they'll have with them. They'll have the knowledge that they, that they came with, and they'll have um, they'll, they'll be giving general instruction, right? So what, what I'm trying to paint here is that everywhere was a Torah, and all these places was a Torah. But there were congregations that got very specific letters written to them at a certain point in time that no other congregation got, right? The, 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 the congregation in, in, in Thessalonica, the Galatians, uh, the Corinthians, all these places had letters specifically sent to them that we can, we can presume not all the apostles had when they went to every other congregation. So there was a long stretch of time where the only... Uh, the only thing that was consistently taught in all of these congregations, all of these Messianic communities, was the Torah. Was, okay, Tara's going. Yeah. Yep, Tara's going back to the nursery if you need, uh, need someone back there. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, we need to understand what they had. And when we think of, when we read of how the New Testament talks of Scripture, we know what they're talking about is not the New Testament because that wasn't a thing then. There were congregations that had some specific letters written to them, some individuals with letters written to them that they would share with congregations, but they didn't have it all spread around all of the congregations in the area. But they all had access to the Torah, to the Tanakh, the writings of prophets. They all had that. And they started to circulate some of these letters. And when they would get up to teach on Shabbat, they would pull out some of these letters and they would review them. They would see what it is they said. They would remind each other, this is what Paul said. This is what Barnabas said. This is what the apostles have said to us um, through these letters and epistles. So that's kind of how this ball got rolling. And the Didache would have been one of those as well, as, as, as well as the uh, apostolic decree. You see, does that make sense now? Like, it was, it was disconnected. 
But the, the thing that tied it all together was Torah um, in all these places. <clears throat> Chapter 16, verse 1. <clears throat> now Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. So he was really focused on getting back to these congregations to do some follow-up work. And we need to know that, that a couple years had passed since he was there before. We know that it takes weeks and weeks to travel from one place to another, especially from getting from Jerusalem or Antioch, rather, Antioch to get to Derby and Lystra. There was a lot of time that passed, so the congregation would have been significantly different by the time he got there. But he wanted to get there as soon as possible. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Verse 2, and he was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to leave with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, so this is, a, this is an interesting passage, and this is one that gets um, most most Christians a little, uh, not, not confused, but they don't know, quite know what to do with this. If, if Paul was someone who was preaching against circumcision, if, if that's what they believe. If, if this is the case, if he's preaching against the Torah, preaching against all these things, why does he insist that Timothy be circumcised? Well, he's Jewish. Timothy is Jewish. In ancient times, as now, Judaism is your, your ethnicity, your, Jude, your Jewishness is determined through your mother. Through your father is determined what tribe you belong to. Okay? So he's a Jew. He's a Jewish man. His father likely would not have wanted him to be circumcised, and so he wasn't. Submitting to circumcision... Timothy submitting to circumcision was part of the path of repentance for Timothy. This was reconciling the omission of obedience to the Torah. So Paul, and it says here in the verse, because of the Jews who were in those parts, so some people will say, well, it's because he wanted, he just wanted to, he wanted to Timothy to do that so that the Jews he was going to wouldn't have a problem with Timothy. It's like, well, that's, that's not the important part. The important part is Timothy is a Jewish man Paul is a Jewish man. Paul wants for the Jewish people to keep the Torah. Timothy wants to help him do that. And so he insisted on him doing that. <clears throat> he was essentially reinforcing that Jews should circumcise their sons. Like this was important to him, and it remained important to him. So Timothy was Paul's disciple, okay? And Paul held him to a very high standard, you can imagine. Again, this is, Paul is not Barnabas. Barnabas is the kind, um, warm uncle, you know, like the, the encourager. Uh, Paul is the strict, he is strict, he is uh, rigid, he, is, uh, he has high expectations and, and demands, just like the demands were on him from his teacher, Gamliel. He is someone who really wants excellence above all. Um, so he's really, he's really pouring into to Timothy, but he's, he has very high standards. Paul believed, as we will see in, in the, the epistles to Timothy, that Timothy had received a spiritual gift when he was prayed over during this visit. So this is the time where Paul 
um, really saw him as something special. He was prayed over. Um, Paul was probably there too. Um, and then we see in some passages in Timothy, like 1 Timothy 4.14, where it says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, which was granted to you through words of prophecy with a laying on of hands by the council of elders. This is the council of elders here um, in this place. 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he also laid his hands on him there at this point. 2 Timothy 1.14, Protect through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. This, I think he re, he's recalling back to this, this time as well. And then in 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 19, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So there was prophecies regarding Timothy as well. Like He was really considered special in his community before Paul even got there. When Paul got there, he's like, oh man, this kid, this kid's got it. Let's get circumcised, dude. <laughs> we can take care of that because we want you to be a good, a good Jewish believer in Yeshua. You want, you've got to do the thing. You've got to do it right. So I'm going to help you with that. Now, they would have waited a little while for Timothy to recover before they left again. So we go on to verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the ordinances for them to follow, which had been determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Again, the apostolic decree. So the congregations were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Any questions or comments um, so far? Nothing? Good. Okay. So the next several verses, I, I just I kind of want to paint with a broad brush here. We'll see in, in their trip, and I've got a map here. Can you see this map and the, the line I wrote? Okay, yeah, no. Um, so they're going back to these cities they'd been to, and we'll see here in, in the next few verses how God is essentially vetoing some choices we didn't see that they made. We see here in verse, uh, verses 6 and 7, they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, so they were forbidden, which means they tried to uh, speak the word in Asia. And the Holy Spirit said, no, don't do that. Don't go um, east. Don't go east. So they keep going West. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the spirit of Yeshua did not allow them. So they tried to go to Bithynia, which is, again, east. So they go for a while, and they're like, oh, let's go this way. And the spirit of Yeshua said, nope, you're going west. Keep going that way. Verse 8, and passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, when he had seen the vision, when, when he had seen the vision, we, 
immediately. So this is Luke speaking in the third person plural. We immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay. Sometimes God vetoes our plans, but do we always give God the credit for that? There's, some, there's a people, like uh, Paul's perspective here is, oh, there's, maybe there's a congregation he heard about in Bithynia or in, or in Mysia. And he tries to go. But then the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Yeshua says, nope, don't do that. How many times have we thought, oh, I'm doing this good thing. This is for the good of all. And something There's an obstacle in your way. Something is blocking it. How often do we give God the credit for that? And how often do we give the enemy credit for that? Right? Now, fortunately, Paul and Silas were obedient. They didn't argue. And they said, okay. Course correction. They pivot and they go in the direction that they were pointed. Next, we see a series of little vignettes here, which um, we could spend another hour probably talking about. But what I want to impress upon you, and this, this goes all the way down to, for the rest of 16, uh, and then also through, uh, through 17. We talked earlier about <clears throat> what... John Mark, what his experience was, and that God plays the long game. And that he's trying to accomplish something that we can't see, that we can't imagine, that we can't uh, quite comprehend in the moment. Um, but there's, some, there's something painful we're experiencing, or there's some disruption or obstacles or difficulty that's just like, ah, I, I, this is not what I had pictured to happen, but okay. What we see happening here is two people, Paul and Silas, who do understand that God plays the long game. They know know reality. They know what is real. They know what's actually going on. And that when their plans are thwarted, they're okay with that. We especially see this spirit of submission and obedience to God. At what moment here? So there's so move, uh, all we see here. There's the the they go to Philippi. Um, there is they meet with Lydia. Hi, Lydia. No, not that Lydia. Um, they meet with Lydia. They meet the uh, the slave girl, the Python girl. Uh, there's an exorcism that take, takes place. Um, Paul and, uh, and Silas are beaten and imprisoned. And the... ...is converted. Uh, and then they are sent away out of the city because they, they, they share, oh, we're actually Roman citizens. You shouldn't have done this to us. Um, and everyone's like, ah, oh, freaking out. Like, ah, oh, this is bad. 
Um, they go to Thessalonica, and there's some more disruption of, of Jewish, we, I would presume non-believers, Jewish, who are making a stink there. Then they go to Berea, where there's a more receptive audience. Okay, so all these things have happened. What is the moment where we're seeing, in, in a moment, this spirit of submission and obedience to God and his authority? At what point in all those that I just listed? Any idea? Yeah, Rebecca. Exactly. Because what what didn't they get while they were sitting there? The door opened, but nobody said leave. God didn't say, okay, get out of here. There was no angel, no nothing. And so who were they submitting to in that moment? By staying, they were submitting to God, ultimately, but through... Roman authority. There is no authority but God's, right? There is no authority but God's. We must submit to all authority. And so in that moment, they didn't hear a word from God. And so until they heard a word from God, they had to stay put. That was being obedient to God in that moment. Even though they were in prison, they were in an inner prison, which was like kind of like a pit. It was, it was, not, a, it was not a good place. It, was, it wasn't like the nice, shiny, clean prison or, or cells where it was like it had, had a little place to lay. It was like the, the dungeon, right? Door open. They submitted. They were, sub, they were submissive. Paul said they got it. They understood the reality. They know that God is playing the long game. They know that no matter what circumstance they're in right now, so long as they are truly submitting to God absolutely and being obedient to him, it's going to work out. And did it? Of course. Of course it did. The jailer was converted because of this. His whole household was baptized. Like, there's no way he could have affected that kind of change in those, in those folks just by standing in the marketplace and preaching or expecting them to come to the synagogue if they weren't already God-fearers. This is, this is, this is an important lesson. That they, were, that they were consistently submissive to God, obedient to him. It made whatever, whatever was ahead bearable. Like, okay, I know I am stepping in God's will. I'm stepping in God's grace and his love. No matter where I go, even if I end up in prison, I'm going to be okay. Even if I'm whipped or hurt or beat or something like that, I'm going to be okay because... God is going to work this for something amazing that I will, I will eventually praise him for. Or I'll praise him in the moment. So we all know this. We all can understand this, wrap our heads around it. But how hard is it to recall when we're in the hard parts? Right? Do any of you have like a special prayer or a song that helps you when you're in these dark places that helps you helps remind you of that? Is there a way in which you've learned to recenter yourself in truth when you're in 
horrible pain. I wouldn't say that it's when I'm in horrible pain, but confessed up and pray about things that I don't see that happen, and even hopefully I'll be known. And so thanks for the pain that I'm aware that you're doing. So is that something that you regularly pray? Is to basically to remind yourself, thank you for the things you're doing that I don't know about. That's gonna that's gonna work things out in a way that I can't imagine. Right. Yeah. But the cars moving the right direction, all of it that we don't think about it, but it comes together for good. Yeah. Raise your hand if you have been, if you've been through, uh, let's see, how should I put this? Um, if you either have been through the ringer and have able to, been able to look back and go, oh, that's why. That's why. Raise your hand if you've had that experience. Raise your hand if you're having that experience right now where you're being put through the ringer and you trust that there's a reason why but don't know it yet. Right? Raise your hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also feel like it's really neat in, in this um, passage how they, they, in the moment, they said, you know, it's the Holy Spirit who's doing this. And how it's so hard in the moment to say, this is God. I mean, exactly mm. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. To just call it what it is. Like, even though this is hard, this is going to be for my retainment and my good. Yeah. Yeah, there's one thing to keep in mind too is this this may not have been written in the moment. And it it's possible that when when the Holy Spirit or the spirit of Yeshua did give them uh correction in their in their trajectory, one of them may have known it and the others had to just trust like okay, Paul or, or maybe it was Silas, because Silas had a gift of prophecy. So maybe it was Silas who was like, Paul, I'm really, I'm really sensing that we shouldn't be doing this right now. And, and they may have had a discussion about it and then agreed, like, okay, that, that must have been the Spirit of God or, or the Spirit of Yeshua, right? Because so, this, this may have been written quite a bit after when they, they knew This was the Spirit of God. Yes, this was the Spirit of Yeshua. As we look back on the times of our lives, we'll be able to write this letter, this book, be like, ah, the Spirit of God spoke to me there, even if in the moment it wasn't quite clear, or maybe it was. But but for them to be able to recognize it is something we should be praying for, this ability to recognize when it is God is speaking to us, when it is His Spirit, 
his will and his desire to veto a choice we made. Like, please, God, I will make this choice, but if it is not your will, please close the door, right? And I'll be obedient. I will submit to, to your will. Yeah, Rebecca. I would assume that this was put together somewhat in the um, hindsight way because to me these three vignettes are more like set up conflict payoffs. Mm. The three stories are related to each other mm-hmm. um, in that you have a very you contrasting characters of the two women. One is a very wealthy merchant who is already mm. in the faith. The other is someone who has no standing but has a valuable skill set. And she doesn't, she's not wrong. Yeah. She's not wrong, but she isn't getting her power from God. She's getting her power from another source. Yeah. So even though she's just, you, and when I'm reading this, like, why would they, why would they uh, relieve her of this ability when all she's being is obnoxious? <laughs> right. She's not wrong. Yeah. But she's being obnoxious. Why go through You do have the power, but it only becomes it only comes from God. Like we're obeying you, we're 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 obeying the God behind your authority, yeah. not you. We're not in, yeah. We're not in prison because you made us. Yeah. So who's really in control? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think even it goes back to the ministry split. If they have split back in chapter fifteen, many of them will have. Because even the, even back then. then Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to get stuck in the trap of, uh, if, only, if only things would have worked out the way we thought. If only, like, instead of just looking at your circumstance and being like, okay, this is the reality now. Let's, let's have this be the starting point and move on from there. Instead of rehashing or... or, or mourning or, or regretting a lost path that, that, that God clearly didn't want you to go down. Like, that's, that's where a lot of trouble comes in, I think. Um, I think we've all experienced that. I experience that all the time. Um, yeah, any other, any other comments or questions or thoughts? I'm going to try to, it's noon. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Mike. The, 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 the major transition that's been 
authority of the name of Yeshua, right? Mm. So before everybody was under Roman authority, right? It was, it was, they were under the thumb of the Romans. And through this, and Paul is representing Yeshua going out, that shows that all authority would have So, to sum up, uh, Mike is saying that this is this is demonstrating a shift in authority to our King Yeshua, which totally makes sense because now they know who the King is, right? And and they are allowed to 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 continue to preach this and bring in more people. Like the kingdom is going to get bigger now. Like okay, all right, let's really shift our focus to who the authority comes from, and we'll be good. We got this, no matter what. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Awesome. Cool. Anyone else? Last call for comments? No? Okay. Good chapter. Um, I mean, I didn't really get into a lot of, of 16 drilling deep down. There's a lot there. Um, but we will move on uh, next week to uh, uh, 7, 16. 17, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 17, verse 16. Um, but, yeah, good stuff. So let's go ahead and pray, and then, um, and then we're going to do the baraka here. So when we leave here, we can just run and stuff our faces with food. How's that sound? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your good, pure authority. Thank you for how you play the long game in this life. We thank you for all the ways in which you work things out in ways we don't see. How you prepare You prepare the way before we even get to the starting point. We thank you for how you graciously, mostly graciously, veto our choices, how you redirect us. And Father, I pray that we would all have the awareness to know that it is you leading It is your spirit leading us in your way and that we wouldn't give the enemy credit. We would give you the credit. That we would take whatever pain we're experiencing, whatever ringer we're being rung through and give you the glory because of what it is you're trying to help us become. Help us to be gracious in those moments as well and continue to praise you. I thank you. Thank you for the Shabbat. Thank you for my friends and my family here and beyond. We pray all of this in Yeshua's name. Amen.